we are, um, we are on this uh, pathway, might I say, to kids camp. Now you might think, man, it's way too early to talk about kids camp. You are not wrong. Um, but it, we decided that as we were looking forward to what we were, we were going to be teaching our kids this, uh, this year at kids camp, that we wanted to actually endeavor as a congregation to look at these themes together. And so we've called this shipwreck, this theme, this, uh, this series shipwrecked. So the next five Sundays as we move into kids camp, we're going to be exploring some of the main themes, well actually all of the main themes that our kids are going to be experiencing at camp. And then we're going to have a giant celebration together uh, the 1st of July. And that, it's just going to be a great way to kind of culminate this whole deal. But shipwrecked. Shipwrecked is this, uh, it, it's this kind of, beach tropical thing. And, you know, as I've, I've been looking at stuff and looking at how to prepare for camp, uh, you know, they have, they have this giant boat washed up on a beach, and it's just so fun and so tropical, and you can kind of imagine, like, you're sitting on a, on a beach drinking Mai Tais, enjoying the, the reality of fun, you know, vacation living. But, but at the same time, you're like, wait a second, there's like some tragedy that actually takes place in this. Shipwrecked, being shipwrecked is actually this sense of like being lost and abandoned and needing Jesus to rescue us. And so out of all of the kind of crazy things in our lives, out of the different areas and the different ways in which we struggle sometimes to be free, that the idea of this, this series, this idea of being shipwrecked is actually an invitation to be aware of the ways in which Jesus rescues us. Where Jesus takes us, not out of like the vacation mentality, but, but rescues us from the hardest island. And as I began to, to think and process that, I, I, uh, I, all, what came to mind most for me was one of my favorite TV shows, Survivor. And Survivor is exactly this. It's, it's the idea that they are marooned on a desert island, that they have to fend for themselves and somehow make fire, given the appropriate tools. You know, it's not, okay, right, it's a TV show, right? But we, we, we send them off in that. And, and I realized, like, man, I love reality TV. Um, not like the, like, trashy stuff on MTV. Like, the, the competition stuff, the, the stuff where they're, like, vying for like each other's favor and votes and like trying to get ahead and trying to to ultimately figure out how to survive and like you know that could be amazing race that could be survivor sometimes it's the bachelorette I that I don't but you know like I, I don't know if I can really admit that but you know it's starting on Monday you know it's our, tomorrow so like I'm kind of getting in the mood for that survivor just finale, you know had the finale but um but Survivor is this unique reality show. It's unique. Um, it's, it's maybe not unlike other shows or other things, um, but, but there is a sense to Survivor where, yes, we have a team mentality in competition. But in everything else, it's me and me alone. And me and me alone equals the opportunity for me to seek myself first, my own self-gain, my own selfish, selfish end before anything else. Um, but it also means that every single person around me is out to get me. Every single person around me 
doesn't want me to succeed in this. Because if I succeed in this, it means that they don't. Because we are all in it in this, in this sense for ourselves. And this breeds something that we all experience in our lives. It breeds loneliness. It breeds loneliness. The, the self-centered, self-seeking approach of the game of Survivor breeds in the people who play the game the most incredible depths of loneliness. Because it's not just like walking through everyday life and being lonely. It's actually walking through everyday life in a conspiracy theory where everybody is out to get you, and they actually are. Like, the, the game of Survivor is, is, the, is the worst of life. All bundled up into incredible 39 games of challenges and competitions and um, mind-twisting blindsides. This is, this is the game of Survivor. And yet in the game of life, sometimes we fall into the trap of living like it's Survivor. We fall into the trap of having our own interests so guarded and so protected that we won't allow others to walk through them with us. Sometimes we walk through, the light, through our life and we, we are confronted with loneliness in a way in which it, is all, it feels impossible to actually allow others to speak into or participate because we don't know if they actually have our best interest at heart. We don't know if they actually desire the best for us. We don't know um, if... If they, could, if they could really understand what we're thinking and what we're feeling. And so we go through life sometimes sheltered. Sheltering ourselves from the hurts and the pains of those around us. Sometimes self-medicating. Sometimes uh, going to places and doing things that maybe are not the healthiest choices for us. Choosing relationships who drag us away from health or who make us feel good inside. And we miss what God really has for us. Sometimes we are victims of loneliness. We're victims of losing somebody that was our one true confidant. We're, we're victims of, of the, the, the world around us. And the scariness of what happens in the world. We, we, don't, we, don't, always, we don't always easily seek wholeness. We don't always easily have the opportunity for wholeness sometimes. We don't, we, we are lost in this lonely world. We're lost uh, in this, in this journey. Sometimes we're, some, many of us may be alone in our marriages. We feel like, yeah, we've been doing this life alongside somebody, but, but do they really know me? Do they really care about the things I care about? Do they really do this? And we're not really ready to, to be so vulnerable as to ask them for help or, or to, to hear what would actually make us great partners together. We, maybe, maybe we're alone in, in decisions we've made to travel, to have a job that brings us away from the people we love on a regular basis, to to be traveling and off and seeing the world, and everybody looks at this beautiful picture of us out in the world, traveling. But the loneliness of being alone and not having our friends present with us. Sometimes our decisions lead us astray and lead us to potentially being ostracized 
or being not able to embrace the love of real deep community. And these choices are in the world. Sometimes we make them for good reasons. Like Survivor, they make this for, they, they choose loneliness. They choose starvation. They choose this life for the best of reasons. They want to care for their real family at home. And so they endure something, maybe for a time. But I think many of us sometimes have endured to the extent that it's not for a time anymore. But there's good news. There's actually really good news. The good news is that that doesn't have to be what it is. And the good news is that actually when we are lonely, Jesus rescues us. When we're lonely, Jesus rescues us. So that's a, the first point for the first day at kids camp. But it's, it's, our, it's our message for today. It's that, that in loneliness, that Jesus is our rescuer. And so I'd invite you to turn with me to John chapter 5. Starting at verse 1, if you have your Bibles or you want to follow along on the screen, that's great. If you have your cell phones, pull it out, version Bible app. would love for you to, to get that and get some Bible study resources as well to know some things. But we're in John. Uh, John is a book that was written about the story of Jesus. Uh, written by the apostle, the, the follower of Jesus, the disciple John to kind of share the stories. He shares them kind of out of order. And, in, and you'll look at this, like they're, they're not in a perfect order, but they share a lot of like the heart and the emotion of who Jesus is and how he sees and reaches people. So John, big number five, little number one. Starts like this. Sometimes, sometime later, so just sometime out there, whatever else, uh, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. We don't know which one, but one of them. Now, there is in Jerusalem, near the sheep gate, a pool. The sheep gate is the gate where the sheep came in to be slaughtered for sacrifice. This is the sheep gate. It's the, the back entrance. Um, by the sheep gate, there's a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, or Bethesda, which, in which is surrounded by five co- covered colonnades. So it's a, it's a nice, relaxing pool with colonnades and a nice covering and shade on the hot days. Uh, And here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Um, And you may notice uh, in your Bibles, it feels like verse 4 is missing. Verse 4 is missing because when it, it may be written down in the in the bottoms, but it was added later to later manuscripts to explain that there was healing properties in the water, that it was believed that the angels stirred the water to allow for healing. And so when the waters were stirred, people would try to get in to be healed. Um, and that's, that's kind of what is articulated in verse 4, but it was definitely added later. It's not in our earliest manuscripts. So just a, a little aside in, in, your, in your story as you look at that. So here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. Don't you love how the Bible tells stories like this? Like, 
Oh my goodness, this guy is healed. What? It's, un, it's unreal. It's incredible that, that Jesus enters into his life, heals him from being a paralytic. He's walking around. He's carrying his mat on the Sabbath, which is great. Um, and this, which took place on the Sabbath. The Sabbath, the day he's not allowed to carry his bedding. So Jesus invites him to healing and yet like also kind of like sets him up to break the law. It's great. Uh, Jesus, Jesus does these things all the time to people. He, he kind of, he sets, he sets the stage for what's next. And, um, and in a story like this, we look though at this man. This man who is sitting by the side of the healing waters. Likely a, maybe a, a hot spring or something with those healing properties, kind of like you, you would imagine going to a spa and, and having the healing properties bring healing and well-being. And who knows what the actual impact was on this, but it, it's a long-lasting thing. Like the, the archaeological evidence says this was there for a, a significantly long period of time. But you can imagine Jesus walking into this place full of sick people. Like, not sick people getting tr- care and treatment like in a hospital. Like, just sick people everywhere. Like, the worst of the dirtiest places to be. The place where you don't want to go because you're going to catch something probably more likely than you are to be healed from something. And Jesus walks into it, and rather than saying, y'all are here, be healed. He seeks out the one person who seems like... He's just content living a lonely, painful, awful life. And he invites him to be free. He invites him toward healing. He invites him to actually answer the question, yes, I want to be healed, duh. And yet, in in the midst of this, it's so vague. Like The the surroundings are so vague. We we see Jesus enter this place and kind of like, sneak in, and, and he heals the man, and then, and then as we continue to look at the story, he, he also sneaks out. Like, Jesus doesn't really, he doesn't really stay and take care of all of the people. He has something specific for us to know and to see in the healing of this man. This man who maybe seems like he's content living his life forever, being in the state of brokenness, of loneliness. He's He's completely different than the man, the paralyzed man whose friends bring him to Jesus and he's healed because of the faith of his friends. And they, they dig a hole in the roof and they drop him down to Jesus and say, heal him. And Jesus says, by, by their faith you're healed, right? But in this, the man is missing some key things. We don't know why he's lonely. But the man doesn't know who Jesus is, which we'll see in a minute. He, he's missing some key things. He doesn't even know who Jesus is. He doesn't have faith in Jesus. He's not actually finding people to help him be healed. He's doing nothing. And yet, in the midst of all of that, Jesus reaches into his world and heals him and interacts with him. Jesus heals the man who is completely alone. He has nobody in his life, and he's in this process of journey to, to maybe find himself. And he's lost his friends and his family along the way. Uh, Verse 12 says this. uh, So they asked him, the Pharisees see him walking around with his mat on the Sabbath. They ask him, 
Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Alone, unaware, unbelieving, unhealable, unlovable, lonely, lost. Without friends, without family, Jesus enters into his world and rescues him from this shipwrecked life, from this this existence living next to the healing waters and never being able to experience God's very best for him. And Jesus enters into that, and in verse 14 it says, Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him. So here's what Jesus is actually asking and commanding and is seeking from this man. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Wait, so... Jesus is clearly setting the stage and the explanation. When he comes and he meets this man again, he says, this is what it takes for you to live a better life. This is what it means. This is what it it looks like. And Jesus is expecting from this man to stop sinning. Now, I think we look at this and we say, what was he doing? He was... He was laying by himself, unable to move, with nobody there to help him. What, what, what wrong things could that man have done to live that existence, to live that life, to have nobody care about him? Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And yet Jesus sees and looks into him and says, you have pursued loneliness. You have ostracized those around you. You have broken the relationships of those who loved you and cared about you. You have separated yourself from all the helping hands. You have not pursued friendship. You have walked this journey alone. Stop it. Stop walking alone. You're healed now. Do something better with your life. Live out something better with your life. No that I love you, that you are loved, that you are cared for, and walk into something better. And the man goes from there in verse 15, and he tells the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. You're like, all right, stop sinning. Turn man in who's healed me. Right? You're like, I don't know. I don't know if he really gets it. I don't know if he really understands that God has a hope for him to be known to be seen, to be loved, to be cared for. Survivor is this incredibly lonely game where where the people, again, have chosen loneliness. And you you don't really notice it, like episode to episode or time to time. You, You don't really see the loneliness in them. Occasionally, somebody has like a mental break and has to call it quits. But most of the time, like they do all kinds of psychological screenings and whatever else, and you don't really see the loneliness that pervades in the people until the family episode. At the family episode, Jeff, the host, comes in front of them and he says, this is what you've all been playing for. This is what you've all been playing for, for your families, for your loved ones. And he says, and, and you see just in saying that, 
that, that the people start to get antsy and they start to cry and they start to weep. And, and then they, they spend the episode sharing the stories of why these loved ones are so important and meaningful to the people in Survivor. And, and you start to hear the, the depth of their anguish at being away for weeks, alone, unconnected. You start to see them just not able to contain themselves. And then sometimes, like, the, you know, it's the brother that comes out and, or the sister and I'm like, and I love my sister. Don't get me wrong. I love her dearly. She's precious and dear to me. But I cannot actually imagine being that excited to see her. Like, I, I mean, my wife maybe, but like my sister, like I love my sister. She's fun. She loves my kids. It's all these great things. But I'm like, it doesn't even matter what family member walks out. They are so alone that they cling and they cannot disengage from the hugs of the people that they love. And, and you can imagine, like, in, in, in the real, reality of our world and a vanity and all those things, you're like, this person is gross. They haven't showered for three weeks. They've been, like, on a beach, and, like, which just makes, makes it even worse. They've been running around like sweaty pigs. And they, like, and I'm the loved one, and I walk up, and I'm like, I got to kind of just embrace the stench, you know? Like, embrace it. Because for that person, they are so alone. And they need, we need this. This is, this is a human need that we need companionship. We need friendship. We need the love of those around us. And, and even though we can fake it, even though we can pretend that it's not a real thing for us, sometimes the choices we make in our life, sometimes the unwillingness to be vulnerable with our friends or our loved ones, Sometimes it's too hard to just ask for help, so I'm going to do it on my own. Actually leads to incredible loneliness and brokenness. And yet, the promise of Jesus is actually a promise to break free from that. Because when we're lonely, Jesus rescues. He, he enters into our world and invites us into the most tender and caring relationship. He invites us to know him. To be known by him. He invites us into a community. To a church. To the body of Christ. Where your strengths are not my strengths. And my strengths are not your strengths. What you offer is valuable to the community. So when we get to the point where we say... It's somebody else's job to this now. Or we get to the point in a relationship where we say, we put in the hard work. I'm not ready for it anymore. The community breaks. The relationship breaks. When we become so focused on our own self-needs that we forget those around us, it breaks the community. It breaks the heart of God. And I cannot see any other way in reading this passage where this is not what Jesus is calling this man to. To stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. It's not, it's not about like how, how mean he's been. It's not about how rude or whatever else. I see brokenness 
and the selfishness to not even ask anybody else for their help. To not actually be willing to be vulnerable with those around us. To not, to not talk about this. And we, we see it, we, we, all, we all know this intuitively that everybody else needs it. Everybody else needs help. Everybody else needs what it, what it takes to get them whole. We see everybody else's flaws. And sometimes we stop and we don't take the time to realize in ourselves how we can speak and live and do differently. Alone and unaware. Selfish, self-serving, Jesus rescues us. Uh, one of the most incredible seasons of Survivor my fi- that, that kind of speaks to loneliness was the season of blood versus water. Now, it is exactly what you think it is. It's blood versus water. What is the tightest bond that bonds us together? And they, they found these great Survivor players, and they said, you're going to play the game with a loved one. And they send them out there, and the very first episode, instead of being on the same tribe, they split their loved ones up. So they are out there, their loved ones are out there, and they are still utterly alone. And at the very first tribal council, the person voted out is the wife of one of the greatest survivor players ever, Rupert. And Rupert has won the game before. He is a great player. He's this quirky, kind of like hippie dude with a giant beard, and he's, he's, the, old, he's the old guard of Survivor, and his wife is voted out. But what's unique about this season is they give them the opportunity for redemption. They give them the opportunity to try and play their way back into the game by winning challenges, but they also give the loved one the choice to switch places. And Rupert makes the worst decision you can make in the game of Survivor. He takes the best player off the field, and he chooses to let his wife play the game and to experience the game that he loved. And so he goes and he switches places with her and he loses in the, in the challenge later and she gets voted out and in the end they are basically at home with no, with, with no winnings. Like they, they didn't win the game. They didn't even have a shot at winning the game because Rupert, uh, Rupert cared too much about his wife being voted out that he sacrificed himself, and, uh, and he's asked this um, at, at the reunion. He says, do you regret swapping places with your wife? And he's like, and he actually says this, I wish maybe I wouldn't have said that I will play the game with Laura, my wife, and instead played with a brother or a co- with my brother or my cousin. But I have no regrets at all. I am thrilled I got to play the game again. I wish it had turned out differently. But now, this is it. My marriage is stronger than ever. She sees I would do anything for her. See, in the midst of a game filled with loneliness, this story is is a picture of hope for us. The story of Jesus is a picture of hope for us because, because God invites us into a deep, caring relationship with him. 
Because he loves you so much and he's made you in a unique way to participate in community. And it is not about you. It is actually 100% about him. That when we are willing to put our own selfishness aside, when we are willing to put our own self-worth and self-gain aside, when we are willing to sacrifice that which we very much love, like Rupert does with the game of Survivor, he he finds something deeper, something richer, something greater in that the relationship he has with his wife. When he's willing to sacrifice all for her, man, there is richness and wholeness in this. There is, there is joy that comes. When we are the kind of people, when we in community become the kind of people who actually live out the body of Christ, who actually live out owning that we, each of us, has a role to play in the lives of one another. When we allow each other to speak into our lives, even when it's hard, when we seek friendships and we seek and we step out of our comfort zone to be known and to know others. This week we had the game night with students and with many of you. We just sat and we played board games together. One of the things that uh, has been incredible, two weeks ago we talked about Alpine Attic and some of these students serving in Alpine Attic, but I need to share from my perspective what's been happening and what I've seen. I have been blown away by some of you who have taken the small step to be intentional to talk to young people and it's not about deep, meaningful, long-term commitment and, and, and conversations. It's about seeing a young person and knowing them. And just know, knowing their name. And recognizing that they matter. And week after week after week after week, I have conversations with young people in our church about how much it meant to them. How, how impactful it was to them. And my challenge to us this morning is this. You, we, have to be the kind of people who take the one extra step to see the one extra person, to know, to know somebody who we should not know, who fate has not put it in our path to be forced to know, to take those five minutes after we leave church on Sunday morning to say, I love my friends and I'm going to intentionally know somebody different. To see them. To put ourselves in the place where we are seen and known and appreciated and connected with somebody other than just right here. Because it's our job. It's our job to live this out. It's our job to be the body of Christ. It's our job to fulfill Christ's presence in the lives of people. It's our job. It's not that person's job. It's our job. It's your job. It's our invite, invitation to be part of being free of the loneliness. To break the chains of the broken and to free others, to be Christ, to invite 
Christ into our hearts and our lives, to allow for others to speak into our lives. It's our job to be open to our friends, to share our challenges, to allow others to actually have the blessing of serving us. And you don't always believe it's a blessing, but it is. Because there is no greater blessing than walking alongside somebody else in their pain. There's no greater blessing than not having the words to say and being there anyway. There's no greater blessing than to open your heart to the hurt of somebody else and feeling it alongside with them. Because value and richness and life comes in these things. Uh, there's a very popular psalm. Psalm 23. Probably the most popular psalm there is. In the liturgy of the church for thousands of years, this has been a psalm that comes up all the time. In my, in my Bible reading, in my, in my personal devotion time, Psalm 23 comes up uh, in, in the lectionary that I read more than any other passage. It's a regular occurrence in the, in the Catholic lectionary, in, in the covenant lectionary, in the, in the lectionary of the Episcopal Church, in the Eastern Orthodox Church. It is everywhere, and it is everywhere because it is simple and awesome. And it is an invitation from God to be open to relationship with him. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. This is it. This is my favorite part. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff. They comfort me. God is with you. God loves you. And he invites you to be known and to know others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, would you remind us today that you are with us? In the hardest place, in the hardest part of our lives, would you show us your way, and show us your mercy. God, because there is a promise, and the promise is that when we are lonely, Jesus rescues, that you rescue, that you enter into our broken places, and you provide rest, and that you walk with us, that your rod and your staff, they comfort us. God, show us your mercy. Show us your love. Break us free from the loneliness we feel. And God, allow us to be the kind of people who empower others and break them free as well. We pray this in your name. Amen.